This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for November 15th, 2019. In this week's episode, discussion of Apple's newest MacBook Pro, Apple Plus content, and Disney Plus enters the streaming fray. How does the Roku Express hold up? Another Facebook privacy issue, more precautions on your home Wi-Fi, and the Pixel 4 face unlock goes wrong. Now here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst Josh Long. On last week's show, we talked about the possibility of replacing a laptop with an iPad. And this week, Apple just came out with a new MacBook Pro. I'm not convinced that this is necessarily a competitor for the iPad because one of the two models is a 16-inch model. That's quite big. Um, You know, the iPad is great because it's smaller and lighter and thinner. But I think this 16-inch MacBook Pro has some interesting things in it. Josh, you're not in the market for a new laptop, are you? Not currently, but looking at this, I've kind of thought, you know, there are some really good features on here. I think one of the things that a lot of people are talking about is that Apple redesigned the the keyboard and and specifically the keys, the way that they behave. Um, One of the things that I've heard that people have issues with that I've been trying to figure out why I'm having this problem with my 15-inch MacBook Pro that uh, it may be related to this is that some people are saying that on the older MacBook Pro keyboards, sometimes you would get some uh, uh, mysterious, you know, additional key presses and things like that. Um, I've noticed that, and I've actually turned the key repeat rate way down on uh, in Mac OS on on my MacBook Pro, and I still have this problem where mysteriously like like an extra letter or sometimes two letters shows up when i'm like quickly tapping a key how old is your laptop uh this is a 2018 model well you should take it into apple because these are known problems my twitter feed is full of people who've been complaining about the laptop keyboards for the past couple of years now personally i don't use my laptop a lot it's my second mac it's the one i do test stuff on um, and I've never had any problems, but this this is a notorious problem of keys that don't work, that repeat. Just do some Google searches about MacBook Pro keyboard, and you'll find a number of irate users talking about it. Right. So supposedly Apple has redesigned the keys, um, so this is not a problem anymore, theoretically. Um, and uh, and that's that's just one of the things. Of course, they... It's 16 inches. So this is, I think, the first time that Apple's really had a portable in this uh, size with this screen size. Apple has created laptops in 11-inch, 12-inch, 13-inch, 14-inch, 15-inch, and 17-inch. And 16-inch was the one that they hadn't done yet. (laughs) Someone on Twitter said, come on, Apple, make an 18-inch, innovate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) One of the reasons they could do this is because the bezels around the screen are smaller. So I don't think the laptop itself is much bigger than your 15 inch. It's just that they need less space around the screen. Yeah, I don't know if this is accurate, but I I know somebody commented that the 16 inch model actually uses the, the 15 inch chassis or a previous 15 inch chassis. It's a little thicker than the previous 15 inch MacBook Pro. Um, so there's, there's a little difference when it comes to that, but 
you know, it, it's it's a pro, so you don't necessarily expect it to be the lightest, thinnest model. One thing that I find interesting is that the 13-inch comes with a base storage level of 512 gigabytes SSD, and you can go up to a terabyte for just $200. The 16-inch starts with a one terabyte SSD, um, and you can even get up to eight terabytes. Of course, that's $2,200 more. I guess if you need eight terabytes, you need eight terabytes and you'll pay that. But I think it's really good that to go from 500 gigabytes to a terabyte is only $200. My iMac has 500 terabytes. It's not full because all my media is on an external drive. But I would really love one day to have, let's say, a two terabyte internal SSD to get at least all my music, maybe not my videos, and to just need external drives less often. So, for instance, I could put my media on a network device and just have one less drive connected to my Mac. Yeah, I, I, the fact that you can go up to eight terabytes is is pretty useful if you're if you're somebody who does, uh, especially if you're doing video editing or something like that, because that does take up a lot of space. If, if you're talking about 4K video, or especially if you're talking about something like 8K video, you need a ton of storage space to edit that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, this could be potentially useful for people who do video editing on the go. Uh, eight, eight terabytes is not something that I would need probably in the in the near future, but uh, there are people who could use that. And it tops out, I think the price maxed out is something like $6,000, which um, sounds like a lot, but when you're considering how much storage space you're you're getting among other things, um, that's actually, so that's not too bad for a, a maxed out portable laptop. They said if I needed something that maxed out, I would get the iMac Pro or the Mac Pro, which is coming out soon, the Mac Pro is going to be more expensive. And, you know, the advantage to the Mac Pro is it will be upgradable. Yeah, I, I think Apple finally gave a release date of uh, December for the the Mac Pro. That's a very yeah. precise date, December. There are 31 days in <laughs> December. Do you remember when the Mac Pro came out, the trash can? I think they actually released the first couple of, of units like December 30th just to get it because they had promised it before the end of the year, but it wasn't, it took like three months before it was widely available. But uh, people are saying that Apple is, has, has missed their target deadline by announcing that it's coming out in December. Well, when Apple says fall, fall is actually a big stretch of time anywhere in this case, uh, in the Northern hemisphere this year from September 23rd through December 21st. So guess what? They're, they'll have it out by December 21st because they're going to want to get it out before the holidays. So, Well, I don't think people are buying this to stick in someone's Christmas stocking. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, in, in other Apple non-news, and we didn't discuss it last week, but we decided before the show we would talk about this. Apple TV Plus launched on November 1st. And as I said to Josh before the show, I, I really dislike that all these Apple tech websites are now turning into TV episode review sites as well. Um, yeah. I don't think that's necessarily what these writers are really best at. Now, I do have some colleagues who have been reviewing and talking about and writing about TV and movies for years, and, and it's fine. But uh, we're not going to talk a lot about it. But I think what's interesting to talk about is the process of of how you can watch it, of how you get it. Um, you mentioned just before the show that you had finally gotten around to watching one episode of the series for all mankind. Um, now you didn't even sign up for the free trial. 
Yeah, that's what I found really curious about this. I was kind of poking around with uh, the Apple TV uh, app on my iPhone the other day, and I noticed that I could actually apparently watch the first couple of episodes of of, uh, a few of the new television shows that Apple's producing. So um, I thought, well, that's interesting because I haven't signed up for the free trial yet. There's a seven-day free trial that they offer, which is the same thing, by the way, that Disney Plus offers. Uh, Disney Plus just launched this week on Tuesday, and uh, they also offer a seven-day trial. Um, But the way that their service behaves is quite a bit different when it comes to trying out the content. There's really nothing you can do without signing up for the seven-day trial on Disney Plus. But Apple actually lets you, without signing up for the trial yet, watch the first couple of episodes of several of their shows. In spite of that, Disney announced that they already have 10 million subscribers. Yeah, well, I mean, it's also Disney and they've got a really deep back catalog in addition to, you know, a lot of really um, recognizable shows. The Mandalorian is a Star Wars show and there are lots of people who go crazy about Star Wars stuff. And, you know, and they've got all the Star Wars, all the Marvel and then all the kids stuff that Disney is well known for. Uh, right. Yeah. They've got Disney, Pixar. Um, they even own National Geographic and Fox. So you've got stuff like The Simpsons that are on the Disney uh, Disney Plus service. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of um, a lot of content that they've got right out the gate and a lot that they're planning on producing. Now, Apple, on the other hand, started out with nine shows. So so it's not a lot in comparison. And they've got three that they say are coming soon. And there's 30 something that are supposedly in development right now in various stages of development or production or whatever. So I kind of feel like, um, you know, for a lot of people, sure, watch the couple of, of free episodes, see if you like it. And then uh, if you do, then you could subscribe because they are trickling out the episodes one at a time, uh, one each week. Three episodes each of the first of a couple of the series. And then the following week, they released additional episodes. Exactly. Right, right. You you could do a mini binge. You could do a mini binge. I, I would almost say just wait until they, you know, release all the entirety of these shows. If you know you like these shows and you've watched the first couple of uh, episodes for really free, then sign up for your free trial after they were <laughs> finished putting out the rest of these seasons. Well, don't forget that anyone who's bought a new iPhone, iPad, Mac, iPod Touch automatically gets a free one-year subscription. I think... You would you had to buy it after September 10th, which would have been the final announcement. Um, so I just got an email saying, "Hey, you're subscribed. You got a free year." I don't know mm-hmm. if they're going to continue this after the first year, but they're really, um, you know, this is a big loss leader for them to get a lot of eyes early on. So you can watch Apple TV Plus on a Mac with the with the TV app, um, on an iPad or iPhone with the TV app, an iPod Touch. You can also watch it on the web. Um, even if you don't have an Apple device. And you mentioned that you just bought a Roku Express. Yeah, this is a a device that cost, in my case, was $24. Bucks, $24 um, just because I, I needed something else and I didn't want to buy another Apple TV. And so I, I hooked this up. Um, it turns out you can actually do almost everything that you can do on an Apple TV 
with a $24 Roku Express. The one thing that you really can't do unless you have an Apple TV is AirPlay mirroring. So if I want to show something from my iPhone or iPad up on the big screen, you can't necessarily do that with a Roku Express. Okay, let me correct you. You can't. Um, the Roku doesn't do almost everything the Apple TV does. Remember the Apple TV has apps and games. So if you're using Apple Arcade and you want access to all those games, then you need an Apple TV. Um, also, a lot of TVs are starting to include AirPlay 2 support. Now, interestingly, um, just this week, I got an email from a company where I've bought you know, TV stereo stuff in the past and saying our Black Friday deals are coming up. And I have a three-year-old 4K TV, and I was thinking, well, do I want to upgrade? I'd really like to get an OLED TV. But if I do, I would want one that does AirPlay 2. Um, I would want one that's going to have the Apple TV app so I can retire the separate Apple TV device. I don't do arcade. I don't use any apps. Um, For me, just like you, you want the AirPlay, you want the Apple TV app. I know someone who bought another Roku here. It was 50 pounds. It might do AirPlay, but he did say it does the Apple TV app in 4K. Um, And it makes me think that the Apple TV device is eventually going to be retired Except for Apple Arcade, do you think Apple will make an app for arcade on TVs the way they've made an app for TV on smart TVs? I think that's part of what keeps people in the ecosystem, right? Um, And I think making sure that there's sufficient processing power and all those kind of things is, is important to making sure the game experience is good. Also consistent controllers and things. So I kind of foresee that Apple probably will keep arcade to Apple products. Um, And what is interesting though, about that Roku express I was talking about, they do have an Apple TV plus app that you can get. And the experience in that app is nearly identical to what you get in the same app on, uh, you know, on any Apple device. So that's what I found really fascinating about it. I actually, on my Roku, <laughs> watched the uh, the first episode of one of their TV shows. So that was... And, and yeah. Apple knows that they're not going to penetrate the market with TV shows unless they make it as ubiquitous as, say, Netflix. Right. So this was a good experience. And, um, you know, I, I have to say that I, I think Apple's doing a good job. And, uh, you know, I haven't, this is the first episode of any of the new shows that I've actually watched. But so I'm not talking about content, but I think in terms of the experience, Apple has hit the nail on the head. Okay, let's take a break. And in the second half of this episode, we will talk about some security related stuff. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. 
Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, I guess it's time to say, oh, Facebook, yet again. (laughs) Yeah, we've got yet another one of those stories. This is a really interesting one. It turns out that the Facebook iOS app um, accesses the camera in the background when the app is in use. And, well, Facebook fixed it, but the reason for this was really interesting. (sighs) Yeah, okay. So Facebook... I I think we talked before. It's been a long time since we talked about this. This was probably on one of the first episodes we ever recorded. We talked about how it's possible for developers to actually use your front-facing camera in any iOS app. And so when you first... When an app first uses your camera, it does need to prompt you and say, hey, I would like permission to use your camera. But, you know, uh, there are cases where you might want to take a picture with an app one time. And then now you've get granted access for that app to use your camera whenever it wants. Um, and so what happened here is that the Facebook app Apparently what happened was there was a bug that was introduced. Um, uh, Guy Rosen, the VP of integrity at Facebook said, "Um, we recently discovered, this was by the way, after an expose article was written about this, where somebody had discovered this flaw where the camera was being activated while you were using Facebook and even in the background. And, uh, and people were kind of freaking out about this and going, what the heck is Facebook doing? So Guy Rosen said, we recently discovered our iOS app incorrectly launched in landscape In fixing that last week in version 246, we inadvertently introduced a bug where the app partially navigates to the camera screen when a photo is tapped. We have no evidence of photos or videos uploaded due to this. So they're like, this was totally by accident. It didn't actually, none of your video or pictures of you were streamed to us, you know, don't worry about it. There's nothing to see here. And by the way, we've updated this and there's already a a new version of the app in the app store. So vice president of integrity. (laughs) Yeah, it it is. Yeah. I kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it shows exactly the kind of things that people are concerned about with Facebook, right? That they have to have somebody with a title like vice president of integrity. Well, as long as we're talking about Facebook, we can talk about Facebook even more. Um, We're going to link to a CNET article. No one should buy the Facebook portal TV. Now, you know, I hadn't heard about this device, or maybe I did in passing. But when I looked at it, it's like a little thing with with a, I mean, it's like, is it actually a Facebook TV that Facebook has made a TV and it's got a camera in it? And it's, what is this? Please explain. So the original Facebook portal was a little device. I think it was a seven inch, like a tablet and you could use it to view Facebook, I think in photos and it had a camera so you could do video chats. Um, And it turns out that they've released a TV that actually does sort of similar things. And 
why would Facebook make a TV uh, with a camera in it uh, with all of the privacy issues that there are? I'm just confused what Facebook and why didn't the vice president of, of integrity say something about this? <laughs> Well, I, I guess what they're doing here is they're they're trying to help you to use your television, which you already have, presumably a you know a nice big display in your living room, and so I guess the idea behind this is you can have your own Facebook portal, but you can see other people on a nice big screen instead of seeing them on this tiny little display. I guess that's probably the idea behind this. So they're, they're like helping you use your TV as though it were a Facebook portal device. Um, I guess that's the idea behind this. They, they, uh, but yeah, this so you basically, you've got this little set top box and it's got a camera and you put it in the room where you have your television. And now you've got a Facebook portal chatting, video chatting device. Um, so What's kind of weird about this, though, and and I mean, not everybody necessarily has their television in their living room. Some people put them in their bedrooms, uh, <laughs> you know, and I think the idea, uh, just the idea of having a camera that is maybe, um, you know, on you where you sleep or uh, do other things potentially. Um, I it, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of something that. Uh, it certainly makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't have a camera pointed at my bed and I don't think that most people should. Um, that's probably not something. I've never had a TV in the bedroom. Um, I don't understand the obsession with needing to have TV available at all times. Yeah. Um, but I feel the same about having uh, an Alexa device or a Siri device in the bedroom. I don't have Hey Siri on on any of my devices, particularly uh, the stereo pair of HomePods I have in the bedroom. I wouldn't turn it on. I'm not going to do that. That's just I, I think one of the basic rules of computer security and privacy is that there will be a leak. It just is a question of when and how it's going to happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I don't think that this author found anything in particular that was kind of uh, the the one reason to not use this other than just generally privacy. I think she's kind of just saying that, you know, if you value your privacy, maybe don't have something that's going to be able to watch you and listen to you at all times. Okay. Um, you and I both have Amazon Ring doorbells. And you've had yours for longer than I have. Um, I got mine, what was it, a few months ago? Because they were having a deal on it. And I kind of like the idea of like being able to know when someone rings the doorbell. If if I'm upstairs and far away from the doorbell, which often happens, um, Amazon Ring doorbells, TechCrunch tells us, uh, exposed home Wi-Fi passwords to hackers. So yeah. your Wi-Fi password in your home network. Now, I remember in France some years ago, the French were very vigorous in trying to prosecute people who were downloading uh, pirated music. And they actually took, I believe, one person to court and the case got thrown out. But one of the things that people were saying if they got caught, and then this is your ISP sniffing your traffic, finding your downloading music files, sending the information to a government agency who would then send you a letter. And after three letters, they would cut off your internet, et cetera, et cetera. So people would say, Oh, no, it wasn't me. Someone else was squatting on my Wi-Fi network. And this was before it was common to put passwords on Wi-Fi. Um, then it became a legal requirement to put a password on your Wi-Fi network in France after that. 
Now, it's sort of normal now that we put Wi-Fi passwords, but if anyone can get your Wi-Fi password, they can sort of war drive and use your internet connection, better bandwidth, but they can also potentially attack devices in your home. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and so I, I think we should explain what the vulnerability was here. Um, th- there was actually a similar vulnerability. We'll start there. That was years ago. This was even before I ever owned a Ring doorbell device. And at that time, I think the flaw might have been uh, that they were storing Wi-Fi passwords maybe in plain text on the actual device. So if somebody came along, uh, you know, they could potentially get your Wi-Fi password from your actual device itself. If they stole your device. Or, it's not hard to pull it off your door. No, it's not terribly difficult. So um, this is a different scenario where they're saying at the time that you're Ring device was joining a network, it was uh, sending your Wi-Fi password in plain text. So if someone were sniffing packets going through the air, then they could potentially get your Wi-Fi password at that time. So um, they say that this uh, has been fixed um, uh, back in September. So as long as your device has been used since then, uh, then it should have already gotten the update a couple months ago. But this is just a reminder of how sensitive all this stuff is. This Internet of Things stuff has to access your Wi-Fi network. Your light bulbs have your Wi-Fi password in them. How much do you need to worry about your Wi-Fi password? Again, if someone's close, if you're in an apartment building and you've got people all around you and someone can get your password, it could be someone who's curious and messes around in your network. I'm far enough away from anyone that there are a couple of Wi-Fi networks that will show up occasionally. But, you know, I'm I'm next to a farm, so uh, I'm not too worried about it. If I saw a car sitting out there on the road with someone with a laptop or a, or a tablet, I would worry. Um, but I think for most people in cities, you're going to, I don't know, how many, you live in a house, right? And you've got houses around you. How many Wi-Fi networks can you see on your Mac? Right now, it looks like including my own, I can see 17 Wi-Fi networks. And, and yeah, I'm not in a, in a high density, you know, uh, housing complex or anything like that. That's just, you know, the houses that are in my neighborhood here that I can see from my computer. So that's actually quite a, quite a few, more than I would expect. You know, go back 10 years, Wi-Fi didn't stretch very far. 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi has a much longer range than 2.4 gigahertz. So I think one, one of the things, to your point, that's important here is that people can access your Wi-Fi network. Uh, it will be in range, even if they may be several houses away. They don't necessarily have to be right next door to you. And they may still be able to get on your network if they know your password. So just something to be aware of. Uh, and uh, by the way, and we talk about this all the time, but make sure that you're using a unique password for your Wi-Fi network. Don't reuse the same password you're using to log into your computer or to, for your bank account or anything else. Make sure you're using something unique because a couple reasons. One uh, you want to make sure that it's something where you can put a guest on that network, unless you have, you know, a dedicated guest network in your home, which you you might, and that's even better. But uh, if you want people to be able to come over to your home and get on your Wi-Fi, you want to make sure that um, you 
would feel comfortable with somebody else potentially knowing that password. Because there are scenarios where if you type, even if you're typing in the password on someone else's device, they can look it up later. Um, you know, you have saved passwords in your, uh, on your iOS device, uh, on Macs, you've got your keychain access application on windows. Um, there, there are ways on all these platforms to look up passwords that have ever been entered into Wi-Fi networks. So just be aware of that. You are sharing your password whenever you type in your password for somebody else. Okay, last, but certainly not least, and we'll do this one quickly. How did Google get Pixel 4 face unlock this wrong? Apparently, you can unlock a Pixel 4 with your eyes closed. Now, (laughs) just think about this. You are, I don't know, sleeping in the same room with someone, and they're asleep, and their phone's on the bedside table, and you can just hold the phone over their sleeping face, and it will unlock. Hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things that uh, is is amusing because it's so poorly implemented. Um, you know, people give Apple a lot of grief, you know, for Touch ID and Face ID and say, oh, well, they're not as perfect as they should be. Um, you know, it's possible to spoof a fingerprint and, and trick touch ID. Well, yeah, you have to go through kind of a lot of effort, you know, more so than you do for a lot of traditional fingerprint readers. And for face ID, it's the same thing. Yes, there were researchers who were able to make face masks that fooled face ID, but it's much more difficult to do than almost any other consumer grade facial recognition, uh, you know, uh, access technology. And as I like to point out, the bank's trusted. So that to me suggested it's secure enough. Um, If you want to make sure that your face ID works a little bit better, if you go into settings, face ID and passcode, you can turn on require attention for face ID. And what that means is that you actually have to be moving a tiny little bit. Um, Now, I think face ID automatically requires your eyes to be open. That's a minimum. Um, but this will make sure that it can't be just a mask that's not moving. If I'm not mistaken, that I, that feature is on by default, and it does have to do with with your uh, where your eyes are are looking. And so, um, I, I think the idea behind this feature is they want to make sure that someone else can't grab your phone from you, hold it up to your face, and run off with it after you've inadvertently looked at your device and unlocked it. So if someone grabs your phone from you and tr- uh, while it's off and, tr- and tries to hold it in front of your face and you don't want them to be able to run off with it unlocked, then don't look at your phone. So if you can avoid doing that, then, uh, then Face ID will protect you in this case where apparently this um, Google Pixel 4 will, <laughs> will not protect you. You know, I hadn't realized that. And I just tried while you were talking, I just tried to unlock my phone by holding my phone just above my desk, yet looking at the computer screen and it didn't unlock. So you actually have to look at the device um, in order to get it to unlock. Right, right. Google came out and made an announcement saying, we've been working on an option for users to require their eyes to be open to unlock the phone, which will be delivered in a software update in the coming months. Yes. So if you have a Pixel 4, put a good serious pin. <laughs> right, probably more than a four-digit pin. <laughs> okay, I think that's enough for this week. 
Um, next week, we're getting close to the holiday season. So I don't think we're going to talk about Thanksgiving recipes, but I'm sure we're going to have plenty to talk about, about scams and Black Friday and shopping things that you need to be aware of. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>